Are traditions really killing the church? We're going to have a conversation about this while playing the game Hot Not or Sanctified. And how this works is we go through a list, and if we say something is hot, then we're saying we generally like it. If we say it's not, we're saying we don't like it. And if we use the term sanctified, which we can only use once per episode, that means we say only God's sanctified judgment can come and weigh in on this. All right, so Anthony, what list are we going to be looking at, and where did we find the list? This list is six traditions which are believed to be killing the church. And they're from beliefnet.com. I can already tell where this is going. <laughs> Anthony's like, I've got to space myself out of this with some like modifier words here. <laughs> oh, beliefnet, the wonders that you bring us. I like this beliefnet.com. So it's a net and a com. Like, <laughs> oh, it is? Is it really? It's not like belief.net? There's no dot net about it. It's just beliefnet. And All right. Um, <laughs> this so. will be All right. great. Anthony, what's number one? All right. The first one on the list is rejecting societal culture. And then in the description there is, there are many things in secular culture that do not follow with God's teaching. However, treating anything outside the church as toxic will stunt the growth of the church. And I think you guys get the rest of the trend of this uh, description. Yeah, I, I see what they're saying. They're, they're saying you can't blanket reject something outside the church. I don't know. Hmm. I'm going to say not to this because your starting point shouldn't be whether or not something is outside the church and it's just in the culture. I think your line of thinking should actually be what is the church supposed to be designed like? And that's something which requires the church to be self-aware and look outside the culture because sometimes there's stuff within the church which is contrary to what the church is supposed to be doing anyway. So I think anytime you start looking for some other metric than the actual historical design of the church, that's where some problems come in. Amanda, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and I want to know, like, what church do they feel like is blanketly disregarding everything from society? And I know that there are some very extremes, but, I mean, let's be honest, even the most fundamentalist wackadoo is still has some interaction and acceptance of things within um, their culture. Um, I, I just don't think you can completely... Um, extradite yourself from your culture. And so I don't think there's anyone who's really proclaiming this message anyways for it to be on a top six list. So there's something really weird I think that's probably happening within the author's life or the author's denomination that they felt this needed to be articulated. Um, but I think, yeah, it comes from a weird starting point. So I'm going to agree with the not. Although, again, we should use good judgment deciding what is good about our culture and what's not. Um, so there, there are some like little threads of truth within this, but I think overall we'll go with not. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with Amanda, and she's kind of triggered some thoughts in my brain here because I think, first off, this is a bit of a straw man argument because I, I don't really think that that exists out there. But at the same time, there is a conversation where we need to sit down and figure out what is appropriate to have and what is not. But again, the way you start with that is you actually figure out what the gospel looks like and who we are called to be. And that's something which requires a bit of a pilgrimage in time in where you're going throughout time and space and figuring out who the church is and who we are called to be. And that's something which is quite ancient and something which doesn't really matter what culture you're in. The, the church can still be the church. What do we got as number two, Anthony? All right. Number two is commenting on politics. And I think you guys know I don't need to describe <laughs> that one. It's pretty blatant. I'm actually going to say hot on that. Uh, the gospel doesn't need your temporal politics injected into it. So I'll actually say that that actually is a big problem. 
Yeah, and and I think to kind of continue that thought is without a doubt, I think the gospel speaks into social issue. The gospel speaks into um, the politics, the way we run ourselves as individuals, as families, as communities, and ultimately in in bigger groups, whatever that bigger group is, whether it's a country or a state or whatever. Um, However, I think, yeah, a lot lot of times when we say that politics has new room in the church, we're kind of talking about when there's a reverse of that, where we start with politics and then kind of conclude how a Christian should live. Um, And so, like, by no means will I or any of us here ever from the pulpit say to be a Christian means to be a part of ABC XYZ political party. Because again, you're trading in this idea that the kingdom of God looks like the kingdom of the earth, and that does not happen. Uh, Believe it or not, God has worked within monarchies as well as democracies, and uh, does not mean that monarchies are better than democracies or really vice versa. They're all human entities, and we should be careful anytime we put our trust in human entities. Um, But again, if we start with the gospel, it will proclaim like when human entities are outside of righteousness and when they do sometimes more accidentally than not um, live within righteousness. So Yeah, a couple of things. First off, politics is downwind mm-hmm. from the Christian worldview. Again, if you are, and, and what I mean by that is not just the Christian worldview, but people's belief system is going to define a lot more things than their political belief system is. And when you start to make the political system the new belief system, then you've got some serious problems. And our culture is riddled with that. And one of the things that I do think absolutely that none of us here is going to say that the belief system of a political institution is somehow more important than gospel. It's not going to happen. But there are people in our world who will say you can't do politics in church. And then they go and do politics in church. (laughs) And that really infuriates me. And they say, well, this is not a political issue, but it really is. No, politics is downwind from the gospel. And I think I can just kind of say end of story there. Is anybody going to contest that? No, I think you're good. (laughs) I think that's good. All right, what do we got next, Anthony? For, I believe, the third part, ranking sins. Some believe that the church has become a place of judgment. Christians have become fairly good at focusing on the moral failings of others while completely ignoring their own, which is weird because of what the next section will be, but you'll find that out later. So (laughs) that y'all can... Well, first off, there is a difference between hypocrisy and actually falling into sin. And what I mean by that is hypocrisy really is where you have two sets of rules for different people. Like you teach a set of rules and you imply that other people should live by them, but you yourself are not living by them, and you're completely comfortable living by them. That really is the heart of hypocrisy, where there are times where you say, this is the set of rules we should live by, and sometimes you yourself break one of those rules. That doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite as much as it just makes you a sinner. And if you feel guilty and you say, I shouldn't have done that, you go and you repent, you confess it, and you be like, look, I fell, I fell from grace. I know that I shouldn't do these things, but I did it anyway. That's not so much being a hypocrite as much as it's just being someone who still has sin in their life and it's causing them to fall. True hypocrisy really is where people have settled down and they've made themselves comfortable having two different moral systems. They have their moral system for themselves and then they have a different one from someone else. And they feel no shame and no guilt when they, they misapply that. So to this whole question, there is an air of truth to it, but I'm going to actually say not to that because I think the question kind of conflates things which may not necessarily need to be conflated, but I don't know. I'll let Amanda respond in her thoughts. Yeah, and I think um, as far as like the idea of, because it kind of the, the statement or the, I guess the the tradition that they're saying is is that, what did you say was? Um, yeah, I thought I might um, go back and review on this because they have two here that are 
really mixed together for some reason. First, they've got ranking sins, yeah, ranking. where they talk about ranking sin in one sentence at the bottom, where it says, he sees all sins as equal, and each should be confessed and forgiven. And then um, the rest of that is about judging others, which is in the next following point, and that is judging outsiders. So um, let's just kind of mesh these two okay. into a... Uh, well, and that's part. where I was confused because the, the title, Ranking Sins, and then they talked about judging. So it, 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 there was a little disconnect in how they organized their list. Um, but I think as far as ranking sins go, um, there is this weird trend in the church either to say, like, all sin is equal or, you know, that there are no great sins and lesser sins. And then there's this... It, I think if we get into the weeds of trying to rank sins, then we're focusing on the wrong thing. Um, but I think also... I mean, the way our world works, there there are different consequences, obviously, for, say, um, uh, accidental manslaughter versus murder one. Like, because we look at things very complex. We live in a complex world. Um, and so to kind of just blanketly say all sin is equal, I think is a little naive. Um, and also then going, I think, into the second point about not judging. Again, the church is called to judge. Um, and we are called to weigh things, but not weigh things in a human mind or from a um, political aspect, but to weigh things with God's wisdom. And so at times, I think we are called to look at the sin of people's lives and we're to call all sin, sin. Um, but also to say, okay, how you move out of sin as a drug addict is going to look differently than someone who moves out of sin who's a gossiper. They're both bad. But how we approach kind of the recovery and the transformation of those things are going to be different. And so I think we need to keep all that in mind as we talk about sin and as we help other people and also as we look at ourselves and see how we need to be helped. Um, and so I think again, this is complex and I think this list is kind of oversimplifying all of that. So I'm going to go with not. Yeah. And and I do think whenever people get into the, to the business of rating sins, they are focused on the wrong thing. Amanda is exactly right because... There is great confusion in the church about this. Some people say all sin is the same. It doesn't matter whether you came in and you, you told someone who looked the worst they ever had that they looked good. You know, it's something like a, a little white lie. Or you, you go on and you rob a bank or something like that. People do want to say, well, it's kind of all the same. But at the same time, other people, they're, they're observant in the world. And they realize that like a white lie doesn't have the same effects of somebody robbing a bank. They look around and they see that things actually really do have different consequences. But the problem comes is when the focus goes in the wrong direction. I don't think we're ever going to have an answer for how do we actually measure and weigh sins, but we do have an answer of how people are transformed out of that. And that's where the focus should be. We, we should not have different systems for how we, we rate and value sins. We should recognize that people are sinners and sins do have different circumstances and we've got to respond to those circumstances, but we can all move towards the holiness and Christ-likeness, which we are called to. Yes. Um, something that I would add to that is uh, I totally agree with the argument by effects that you can look at the effects of sin that are very different and that have different degrees of, um, I guess, intensity and uh, badness. And so that's a good argument for um, sin, all sin not being equal. But there's also the idea that evil is not a presence, that evil is an absence. And so if you're considering it like that, then there may very well be um, more absence or rather less presence of God in an action than another action. It's not as though it's a, 
you know, all presence or no presence scenario, especially whenever you're looking at it like that. So I think um, on the nature of it, of it itself, you could make another good argument that they're probably not all equal. But all right. Well, what do we got next? What's our next topic? Refusing to change church structure. There are certainly weekly. There are certain weekly routines for worship that have become a way of life for congregations. These become a problem when it halts the church from growing and flourishing. Refusing to change music style, order of worship service, um, and etc. for the rest of this, because that follows pretty much the rest of the description. We'll go to Amanda, therefore, <laughs> stopping right. her explosion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is, okay, first of all, this list is weird because it says, like, the top six traditions that are killing the church. And then we haven't actually named any traditions. These are all maybe philosophical or theological or doctrine issues or kind of the interaction, the the, the implication of theology into the church. But there, we've not actually hand, handling, quote, unquote, traditions. And now we finally get to one that actually is dealing with traditions. Um, it's just funny. I'm just saying, like, this is a weird setup. It's not really like a long-term tradition. It's not something like the Eucharist or something like... it's just vague. ...marriage being something which is holy. It's it's something like your style of church. And I think here, listen, I grew up during the worship wars... I grew up when um, people were fighting and churches were split and people stopped tithing and a pastor's family uh, almost starved because people refused to tithe. So, like, by no means am I comfortable with this topic because it makes me angry. Um, But there are things that happen... And I know people are fighting about this. What color the pews are, if we use hymns or projectors, if uh, our music needs to be 200 years old or two weeks old. So this is stuff, but this is ridiculous stuff. Let's get over ourselves, whether you're for, against, or whatever, and do what God calls us to do. And if that looks like the traditional church, do it. If it looks something totally weird, do it. But if you are led by God and the Holy Spirit, then it's okay. And I think tradition is a great mark that we need to keep alive, but we also have to understand where those traditions come from. Okay, so I just, uh, this aggravates me because it ends up on every list and it just makes me so mad. Well, I think there's also two things going on here. There's things which people describe as tradition, which are more or less a habit of a group of people. And then there are things which I would consider like a deeply rooted 2,000-year-old tradition. Again, namely something like communion, something like baptism, Something like making a confession when you want to come into the faith. How we, we come to scripture, the, the general format of worship, and not the things like how glass is your pulpit? <laughs> how, how much of it is made out of glass and how translucent is this glass? Do you have a smoke machine? Does Do you, your pastor fly who, in? Who <laughs> is floating into the service when you come in? Because while there are people who do hang on to what I would consider more habits than I would say something which is actually ancient, there are people who demand perpetual change. And all of this, whether you're on one side or the other, stems from missing the point of what the church structure is actually about. It comes with the wrong assumptions of how we should format church. And that really is where I think there's a huge amount of confusion, especially in the modern world. And even I see this permeating into the universities. And when they interview people going for district license and ordination, they ask people like, describe your call. I actually think that the reason why so many people are asking this question, describe your call, which I don't remember them doing actually when I was in uh, going to university, though. I know the people after me, they started talking about this a lot more. I actually think it's more of a, a projection of the subconscious minds of the people asking that question. Because in 2019, I think a lot of the leaders in the church 
don't understand what the role of the pastor is in the modern world. As so many people, they're going to different things. They're going to places like politics for their belief system. They're going to other movements for their belief system. I think that's the subconscious mind of the church saying, we don't really understand what a pastor looks like anymore. So when we've got these young people coming into ministry, we have to say, well, describe your call because they don't really know how to equip somebody for a call. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of one of my thoughts on this. I'll I'll let a, Amanda respond to that. Or, well, I think Anthony had a response. We'll let him go first. Oh, okay. Um, just to sort of compliment that or add to that, the let me think of a good way to word this. Oh, okay. I see now. All right. So, I think a big part of it is that ministry sort of the way people look at ministry is shifting from fulfilling a duty or responsibility and more towards pursuing a passion because a lot of times what the way these people way the way a lot of people talk about their call to ministry when if there's someone who obsesses about discussing their call and um the nature of it and all that most of the time it's things that they're very interested in and things that maybe they have experience in and maybe they had a past experience where they had this crazy emotional moment and realize that's what they need to do the rest of their life but i think that a large reason why people might not have talked about their call before and asked so many questions about it is because before maybe the mindset was more oriented towards just fulfilling duty and responsibility in the community so what would you think about that well i think that is some truth to that because i think we do live in a world and this isn't just a ministry where people are say go do what you're passionate about as opposed to go do what you have responsibility to do And those are really totally different ways of thinking. I know when I went to university, they did not teach me how to rebuild, you know, rafters in a roof that's water damaged. (laughs) They don't tell you how to to fix plumbing issues and how to get under a building and put 29 piers up under it to level it out. The things that a lot of people, when they actually go into ministry, the things they have to deal with. And even though Amanda's had some strange situations, people show up, they don't have clothes on and stuff. The things you don't actually get prepared for in ministry that you're probably not passionate about doing, (laughs) but you have the responsibility to do it. And in order for the church community to function as it should, you've got to have a leader who's willing to step up to the plate and say, got to deal with this. Yeah. And I think that's something. So as we're kind of going back to the original, I guess, thesis of of this tradition is the unwillingness to be, to be mobile um, or malleable. That's, I think, again, it's a secondary question that's trying to deal with a deeper issue without actually dealing with it is I think there's definitely something to be said about passion. And there's definitely something to be said about people's personalities and temperaments that, that can help them work in various aspects of ministry. But yeah, I, I think in one of our professors, and I can't remember who, which one said this, and I think several have said it in various ways, but they basically told us in our ministry classes, if you can do anything else and still get into heaven, do that. Um, basically, if you don't have to be a pastor, don't be one. Um, and, and, and I think what is, is, is telling about that, and I think really that's not, shouldn't be just to pastors, but all people who are, who are a part of the faith community. And this is why we should take our faith so seriously. There's, there's joy and there's fun to be had in our faith, but there's also a great seriousness that these other things, um, like these kind of structures or these, what they call traditions that are kind of these short-term things, don't matter. What matters is, are you willing to die to yourself, 
to your own will, your own way, your ideals? And are you willing to do what God calls you? And sometimes that will call you to comfortable things. Sometimes that will call you to things you enjoy. But a lot of times it will call you to uncomfortable places to deal with uncomfortable people in uncomfortable circumstances. And so the gospel is something much bigger than our imagination even. And so I think this thesis, as much as it aggravates me, is touching, again, it's touching on something important, but I think this list is very ill-equipped to adequately deal with it. Yes, I can say hot to that. <laughs> so is there another one or are we done with our six? I've, I've run out. I've, I've I, I have no idea too. I, I, we've <laughs> rambled and gotten a little bit sidetracked. So what are we, do we have Here one more? Here is number six. Yeah. Okay. This okay. is the last one. Last one. Devaluing missions work. And so it's pretty much referring to um, compassionate ministries and, you know, volunteer service and things of that nature. This makes me want to um, <laughs> um, be angry, angry when I hear this. First of all, I think the idea of mission work has got totally. We have people who want to fragment things that shouldn't be fragmented. Uh, I have been to parts of the world where it's the people aren't as a Christian culture like the West kind of used to be, but yet it's easier to preach the gospel there and people are more receptive to it. I've been places here in America where it's almost impossible to grow a church. Mission work is actually kind of present everywhere in the world. Um, when, when Jesus calls people to preach the gospel, he says, go and preach the gospel. He doesn't say you can't preach it here. You've got to preach it there. And I feel like a lot of times what happens with different forms of ministry is they try to take Christian virtues and split them off. They'd be like, these people, they don't really deal with the, the reason and logic and the in-depth theology. They're just into the love and compassion about it. When in the church, we're not supposed to split the virtues off and apply one virtue to one ministry and one to another. The whole package should come together. And so when it comes to things like volunteer work, it comes to things like charity, compassion, and even sending people overseas, I don't think that it should look different from what we're doing at home because it's so far away, I think everything has to be relevant to the context it's in. But I think we should look at it as saying the gospel is the gospel and we don't need to tailor it and, and try to snip little pieces out and, and cookie cutter different things as we see fit. I don't know. Yeah, and I think um, there, there may be some churches that are very... Um not egocentric, but very, very centered around kind of like within themselves as a congregation. So maybe this is what it's trying to say is trying to combat. Um, but I think also saying that there are people who are anti-missions, it's a little bit of a straw man. Um, cause here's the thing, like, like you were, you were mentioning, you made me think, you know, Jesus says, go and preach the, you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Basically it's this ever growing circle. Uh, Paul writes about the fact that to some are given the gift uh, to be prophets, to be teachers, to be um, hospitable. Um, and then he also writes in, in another letter that some are an eye, some are an ear, but we are one body because we believe in one faith, one baptism because of one God. And so to try to like parse this out and decide like, what is the best use of the church's time? And listen, we have limited resources, we have limited time, we have limited money, limited space, and I get all that. And so we have to think strategically sometimes about how we use the resources that is given to us. But also, we have a God who, who is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. Basically, it means whatever little thing you think you have, God has so much more in store. So 
it just, again, it's a little bit of a straw man. It's a little bit of, like, let's argue for the sake of arguing. And that comes from someone who enjoys arguing. Um, but it's just, like, let's look at who we are as a people of God, what we're called to do. And then you go do it. And I don't care what your denomination or structure or organization calls it. If they call it Compassion Ministries or Missions or, I don't know, hub hub loo it, it doesn't matter. As long as you're doing what you're called to do. And I think really that kind of sums up this whole list. And it's a weird list and I don't understand it. Really, to be honest, who organized it and decided these were six traditions that are killing the church. There are issues in the church. Sometimes we are so focused on ourselves. Sometimes we focus on others, but we're really not focused on others because it just makes us feel good. Um, and I think that does creep into the church. But if we're honestly searching out what God is calling us to do, I don't think any of these six things are going to be a problem, even if they're traditions or not or whatever this list is calling them i agree i think i'm going to say not to this whole list yeah. it's just it was a weird and like we knew it was a weird list as soon as anthony labeled whatever the uh belief net belief net there's just <laughs> there's just weird things that usually come and i mean we're a christian program called kingdom of the logos and i have people asking us why are we called kingdom of the logos so i mean i understand we've got a weird name too but uh hopefully we we bring about a different air of a philosophy than we, someone we called belief be, net. Yes, yes, hopefully. <laughs> um, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.